all month, in fact, all year, 2024, because we're working on being a culture of evangelism. We're praying and asking God to help make us a culture of evangelism. We want to be a welcoming place for guests, uh, trying to love everyone in Jesus' name. So if you're new here, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. If you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. And we want to love you in Jesus' name. And we want to show you how we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day. So let us know if you're new or even not a Christian. Let us know how we can love you because that's why we're here. Well, in light of that, last Thursday, our family got a warning. Warning. It was a boil water advisory from our water company. Were any of you suffering along with us in that boil water advisory? Maybe some of you. Uh, Royersford, we live in Royersford, and two neighboring regions were alerted. Our water company had lost the chlorine feed for 15 minutes, and about 10,000 customers had to boil their water for two days because the chlorine feed went down for 15 minutes. So we had to boil the water or else we could get really sick. It was a pretty serious warning that went out. And it basically was giving the message, stay away, be careful, don't get too close, avoid contamination. And that's the right approach with bacteria and parasites potentially in your drinking water and in the water you cook with. But once we become Christians, Once someone has reached us with the good news and evangelized us, what are we supposed to do with the non-Christians in our lives? Our non-Christian family members, our non-Christian friends, our non-Christian co-workers and neighbors, how are we to interact with them? Are we to stay away? Be careful. Avoid contamination. Or does Jesus offer us a radically different approach that got him in lots of trouble? Actually, that's what we're going to see. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the foyer. And uh, we also have it reprinted on the back of your bulletin. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And we're going to see in this text how and why Jesus ate with sinners. I'm going to pray first and then I'll read our text. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to be the Savior of sinners. And thank you that he ate with sinners. Thank you that he died for sinners and rose again for sinners so that we could be saved. Help us follow Jesus and give us wisdom to know how to be like him in this category where he ate with sinners and said, follow me. Give us hope and joy as we share the good news with our loved ones and friends and neighbors. Give us courage and help us trust in you, knowing that we can't change hearts, but your son Jesus Christ can. Now as we hear from your word, teach us what you know our hearts need and help us receive it with obedience and joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is God's good and glorious word. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here we see a common occurrence in our Gospels. Jesus is asked a question, or he hears what people are saying, or he knows because he's God as man, second person of the Trinity. He knows what some people are thinking, and then he speaks up and says something to help everyone listening understand the truth. And sometimes in these stories, some of the people end up being the bad guys. And followers of Jesus like us need to listen to these stories and understand who has the wrong opinion of the situation. And we need to follow Jesus in the correct way to approach these things. And in our text, we have three groups, three groups. There's religious insiders, there's religious outsiders, and then there's the disciples. Okay, religious insiders. That's the scribes and the Pharisees and the scribes of the Pharisees. They represent Jewish leadership. Now, you know what they did? They knew God's law. They knew their Bibles. They said they loved the Lord. They walked around telling everyone how faithful they were to the Lord. They would have represented themselves as faithful followers of God. They were very careful what they did publicly, and they were really careful about who they hung out with. That's the first group, the religious insiders. Second, you have the religious outsiders, tax collectors and sinners. Levi, son of Alphaeus, was a tax collector. We also know him as Matthew. In another gospel, he's called Matthew. Tax collectors were not well respected at all, and especially by Jewish people. And I'll explain that in a few minutes. And sinners is a catch-all term for people who don't have a good reputation because of their moral behavior. They're known publicly for being people who sin against God's law. They're religious outsiders because of their behavior or maybe their career. The third group is the disciples, Jesus and his disciples, who are doing kingdom ministry, who are walking into this world. Jesus is saying, this is my kingdom. This is what my heavenly father is doing. Watch what I do. See the kind of kingdom I'm building. And they're explaining to the people why Jesus showed up. So there's three groups. And that's who's there. Now look at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. So here Jesus is teaching crowds, large crowds. Lots of people are watching. Lots of people are listening. You can assume they're all debating it. He said this. What does that mean? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Jesus knows that this moment is a perfect teachable moment for his disciples and for the whole world. What was Jesus doing? In Mark chapter 1, don't flip there, but Mark, the gospel writer, has already pointed out that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. So a story like this, an account like this, it really happened, teaches all of us what the Messiah was doing and why Jesus came. Why did he come? Now look at verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
And he rose and followed him. So Jesus passes a tax booth and he calls a tax collector to follow him. That's how he calls all of his disciples. You see that in the Gospels, right? In Mark 1, he does it with Simon and Andrew. Verse 17 of Mark 1, Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And if you're a Christian, this is what Jesus has said to you. Follow me. Love like me. Understand what I'm teaching. Believe what I'm teaching. Receive my glory, my grace, my mercy. Follow me. And for each of us, we're following Jesus and it looks different. My Tuesday this week, following Jesus is going to look different than your Tuesday. Because I have victory and failure in certain categories that you don't. We're all just following Jesus. That's the invitation. Jesus says, follow me. But he says it here to a tax collector who was at work that day being a tax collector. He says, follow me. So let's start there. Friends, are you following Jesus? That's basic Christianity. Are you today following Jesus? Are you trusting him? Are you praying for his help and power in your life? Are you loving him more than anything else? Well, keep following him, friends. Brothers and sisters, keep following him. And when you follow Jesus and you come across a story like this, our eyes should be on what Jesus does and we should want to be like him. So in our story, we want to watch and follow Jesus even in this story. Levi was invited to follow Jesus, and he does. But then the story advances to a meal at Levi's house. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right, stop there. It says he reclined at table. Uh, Is that what any of you do when you invite someone over to your house? Right? Want to come over for burgers? Want to grab a coffee? Want to recline at table? I don't know. We had a lot of tables here last night. I didn't see anyone reclining at table. What does it mean? Well, reclining at table in the first century meant sharing a meal with someone, sharing food and drink. But it meant more than that outwardly. Because sharing a meal meant you were willing to be seen with somebody like that. You were willing to be associated with them by onlookers. You were willing to be labeled with them. Jesus was associating with sinners, religious outcasts, religious outsiders. Now, Jesus was sinless himself. Amen. But he associated with sinners. And this was shocking. But not only was it shocking, let's not leave verse 15 yet. It appears from Mark's gospel that this was common. Look at 15 again. And as he reclined at table in his house, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I think Mark is saying this wasn't just a one-time afternoon thing. This isn't the only time Jesus shared a meal and a table with sinners and tax collectors. It says many sinners followed Jesus. They listened, they learned, they followed. In fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, that's the starting point. You have to realize and admit and confess that you're a sinner. Coming to terms with the fact that you're a sinner is the first step in repenting and turning to Jesus. And so there's a whole bunch of people who knew they were outcasts religiously and they knew they wanted to follow Jesus. 
And the people who had a problem with Jesus associating with sinners were the people who thought they were the religious insiders. Ouch. This is convicting, isn't it? He ate with them. He associated with them. He was seen with them in a house. And this shocked the world. It was shocking to Jewish people because of the sinners and also those tax collectors. I'm not going to ask, raise your hand if you're a tax collector. (laughs) But tax collectors worked for Rome. They taxed the people for the Roman government. And Rome was an enemy of the Jewish people because they made them second or third class citizens. But since Levi is working by the Sea of Galilee at that table, which Jesus walks by, that means Levi was probably working for Herod. You know, the sort of half fake pseudo king, king of the Jews, Herod. Well, he was working for Herod, who was also hated by the Jews. On top of all of that, working for Rome, working for Herod, tax collectors were known in the first century for being ruthless, immoral, and greedy, often regularly taking more than was owed and throwing it in their pocket. So when you think of a group of people, religious outsiders, but also hated outcasts, In society, tax collector was one of those terms. If you said tax collectors are coming, everybody would go, oh, no, run away. They were despised. And yet Jesus ate with them. Makes me think of the song, Jesus, Thank You. One of the songs we sing here. Uh, One of the lines is, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus invites us to his table. We, as sinners, were his enemy. He died to make us his family, and now we're seated at his table. Jesus is showing us that's what he's up to. He's preparing a table for all of his people, everyone who knows and confesses their sinners and trusts in him as Savior. Or as we sang in End Can It Be. Think about what we were singing. Died he for me who caused his pain? For me? Who him to death pursued? Are you serious? Jesus did that for me? I can't believe it. What grace, what mercy, what forgiveness. What a guy. I can't believe he did it for me. I needed a savior like that. That's what we sing here at Cornerstone. Jesus came to die for sinners. So of course he ate with them. Doesn't it make sense that he would eat with sinners? He came to die for us to take our place. And if eating means associating with sinners, how much more Does dying on a Roman cross show that Jesus came to associate with sinners? He took our place. So of course he was going to eat with us. Of course. But it didn't go over well. A lot of people got mad at this. Look at verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I find that really interesting, don't you? These religious people have a problem with Jesus, so they try to make his disciples feel guilty about it. Hey, you follow Jesus. Why is he like that? What's wrong with him? And by extension, hey, you follow Jesus. Why is, why are you like that? Why, what's wrong with you? That's what the scribes of the Pharisees are trying to do to the disciples. But as we learned last week, Christians in Christ's presence can be unashamed. Unashamed faith leads to unashamed faith. And we need to be unashamed when the world and non-Christians make fun of us. But Jesus is showing his disciples here that you need to be unashamed 
when religious people ask us why we're spending time with sinners. Because Jesus had really hard words for religious people who think they're too good to eat with sinners. Look at verse 17. Hard words for all of us. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's Jesus. He was the Savior. So, of course, he was going to spend time with sinners. Everyone Jesus spent time with was a sinner. (laughs) How could he not spend time with sinners? Think about what the Pharisees were doing. Religious insiders loving their position, loving their status, and loving to label the outsiders. We're in and they're out. So what is Jesus saying to them? The sick need a doctor. Not only that, the doctor's going to have hard work to do. It was going to cost Jesus his life to be the doctor for sinners. So imagine the folly as you listened in on this comment from Jesus and realize what he's saying and then translate it today. Imagine walking into the doctor's office this week. Some of you I know have doctor's appointments this week. Imagine going into the doctor's office and saying, here are my symptoms. And the doctor says, all right, here's your prescription. I'll send it to the pharmacy. And then saying to the, imagine saying to your doctor afterwards, doctor, thank you for your help. I just have a, I have a question. Why do you spend so much time with sick people? What's wrong with you? What kind of person are you? Thanks for helping me, but what is your problem? You're always around sick people. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the religious insiders were doing. Saying to Jesus, what's wrong with you? Why are you around people who need a savior? Such hypocrisy in the hearts of the Pharisees. How silly, how selfish, how upside down. Listen to Jesus again. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what we find out in Scripture, Old and New Testament, is that there is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no in-group. The whole world is born into sin, and Jesus came for sinners. And in fact, if you think you're good enough that you don't need a Savior then you need a savior. Why were all these sinners following Jesus? And why were all the religious insiders trying to get rid of him? Because the sinners knew they needed a savior. That's the start of faith. So let me ask you, Jesus says, follow me. And then he eats with sinners that the sick might be healed and the lost might be found. Is your heart convicted about this so far? Have you evaluated some of the decisions you've made? The bad guys in this story are the religious people who hate the idea that Jesus is spending time with sinners. When we see a story like this, we're confronted with a clear choice. One group is right and one group is wrong. Friends, let's evaluate together. Either eating with sinners is wrong and the Pharisees are right, so let's follow the Pharisees. Or... Eating with sinners, in some contexts, is right, and Jesus is right, and we should follow Jesus. Now, here's a Bible reading pro tip. Ready? Bible reading pro tip. Jesus is always right. (laughs) Always. Pro tip. That one's free. If you're a Christian, are you glad you're saved from your sins? And yet, are you treating non-Christians like water that needs to be boiled. 
My boil water advisory said inadequately treated water may contain disease-causing organisms. They might include bacteria, viruses, and parasites, which can cause symptoms such as nausea, cramps, associated headaches, and other things on the list I don't want to say on YouTube, (laughs) right? I don't want to say in public. What is the warning? Stay away. Be careful. Don't get too close. Avoid contamination. Let's be honest before the Lord. Is that how our hearts think about sinners, about the lost, about religious outcasts? If so, remember your testimony that once you were lost and then you were found, you were blind, and now you can see. Think about your testimony. Friends, when you were stuck in your sin, Jesus did not think about you and say, stay away. I don't want to be near you. He showed up. He ate with sinners and he died and was raised to life for sinners like you and me. So stare. If your heart does that, stare at the heart of Jesus for sinners. And if Jesus' actions or words ever make you feel convicted today or any day, thank the Lord for that conviction, for exposing that heart that's not quite like Jesus. It's a gift from God. Pay attention to Jesus and follow him. Unlearn what you thought was right and follow the truth of Jesus into the world. Jesus ate with sinners and said, follow me. So we should consider at times eating with sinners because Jesus ate with us. So now what are we going to do with this story? That's the story. That's the account. It actually happened. What is our application? I've got three things and then we'll close with a story. Three things and I'll close with a story. First, pray for a culture of evangelism. Pray for a culture of evangelism. I've mentioned this for the past couple of weeks, that we need to pray for a culture of evangelism here. That God would help us worship well and be a church that you can invite someone to. That sinners would be welcome in your homes, in your growth groups, in your small groups, and everywhere you go. That sinners would be welcome here so that they can find Jesus, the Savior, and learn how to cry out to him for salvation. That we would be on mission to share the good news of Jesus. So if you see a Christian with a guest here, assume that that guest is hearing the gospel from the Christian who brought them. And make sure to love that guest in our church well in Jesus' name. Now, we're not going to change how we worship for guests. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches, particularly around chapter 14, that when we worship really well and powerfully, it's a testimony to the non-Christians who happen to be in the building at the time or in the group at the time or in the home at the time where church was going. And we're not going to change how we worship, but we are want to be inviting two sinners, two people who need a Savior. And as they watch us worship boldly and powerfully, it will be a witness that can change hearts. So no compromises here. Don't worry. But let's pray for a culture of evangelism. And that means let's all think of ourselves as ambassadors. If you want one word for today, ambassador. That's our role. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this church on the Lord's day is an embassy. It's an outpost of heaven. God is worshiped here. Jesus is lifted high here. The Holy Spirit is active here. Let's think of ourselves as an embassy and ambassadors to this community, to our friends and neighbors and our loved ones. Ambassadors for Christ. So pray for a culture of evangelism. That's our all-year focus and pray for it now. Second, if God puts someone on your heart, eat with them. Think about how you can eat with them. 
Why is a doctor always around sick people? Because he's a doctor. Why is Jesus always around sinners? Because he's a savior. And Jesus said, follow me. Why should you spend time with non-Christians and even be seen with them in certain contexts? Because you're an ambassador. And yes, you can invite them to church. That's a great start. But consider if God puts someone on your heart that he might have picked you to grab a coffee or a tea or talk to them at lunch or at the break room or at a family get-together. I want to read uh, from this evangelism book. I gave a couple copies out a few weeks ago. And this book has helped inspire a lot of the things we've been going over in the sermon series. I want to read uh, uh, the author of this book, J. Max Stiles, was speaking at a church about a culture of evangelism at a a seminar, and here's what it says. Uh, The pastor asked me to do a seminar on developing a culture of evangelism. I talked to people, and they asked questions. Then someone asked an elephant in the room type of question. Here's the quote. Many Vietnamese are moving into the community around our church. What is the church going to do to reach them? The author says, on the one hand, that's a wonderful question. A member had recognized she had the privilege and responsibility to reach out with the gospel and saw an opportunity to do it. On the other hand, the way the question was phrased seemed to imply that reaching out was the responsibility of the church, not the person who noticed the opportunity. So here's what he says, how he answered the question. It's really not the best thing for the church to set up programs for Vietnamese outreach, but rather for you to think about how you can reach out I would recommend you learn something about the Vietnamese culture. Maybe learning some greetings in Vietnamese, trying their food, and learning about the struggles they face living in a majority culture. Reach out and invite the friends you make to come with you to your homes, a small group Bible study, or church. Then, perhaps, some of you should even think about moving into the Vietnamese community with the purpose of commending the gospel among them, like missionaries do. What a beautiful vision. If the Lord puts someone on your heart, find a way to spend time with them and maybe eat with them. Well, third and finally, be careful. Be careful. Three warnings. Point three is be careful. It's got three warnings. Number one, associate, but don't affirm. Associate, but don't affirm. Associating with sinners can easily lead to you affirming their sins. We can eat with sinners, but let's not celebrate their sins. You remember when the woman is caught in sexual immorality and the whole community wants to judge her, Jesus says, after everybody walks away, neither do I condemn you. So he's associating with her. He's not even condemning her. But then he says, go and sin no more. So he loves her and offers her forgiveness and and wholeness in the community. But he does tell her, I can't affirm what you've done. Go and sin no more. That's the heart of Jesus, who we can associate but don't affirm. Second, this is really hard, isn't it? Be the influencer, not the influenced. Be the influencer, not the influence. It's dangerous if we're the ones being influenced by others to sin. Sometimes we leave our old life of sin. God saves us from certain addictions, certain uh, behaviors. And that means we lose friends because we can't spend time with them because they want us to come sin with them. And they influence us when we're around them. And we have to learn to say no to those opportunities and figure out how the relationship can continue. 
So be the influencer, not the influenced, and pray and ask God for wisdom about how to still love those friends without being influenced by them. Third, the third warning, eat with sinners, but don't sin with them. Okay? Eat with sinners, but don't sin with them. You can eat with sinners at Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's and the break room at work and the lunch table at school and your house and their house, but you can't go into an adult entertainment club and grab burgers with them. You can't participate in sin just to say, I'm eating with sinners. You have to be really careful what events you attend and what message it sends. For instance, did you know witchcraft is on the rise? Wicca? It's one of the fastest growing religions in our country. Numbers are hard to come by, but there's probably around 2 million Wiccans in our country. And they have religious events that we should probably not go to. Last night at 6 p.m., we had our annual congregational dinner. And wouldn't you know, the event I found, a Wiccan event I found was last night at 6 p.m. at a church in North Carolina. They call it a church. I don't know what that means, but it's this service. Here's what they did. Last night at 6 p.m. in North Carolina, I hope none of you were there, they had an imbolc ritual. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know if that's what it means. But they said as their invitation on Facebook, join us as we celebrate imbolc. And turn the wheel with a capital W wheel. I don't know what that is. During this ritual, participants will each receive a personal message from the goddess to guide them through the rest of the year. Doors open at 6. The ritual will begin promptly at 6.30. If you're a Christian, I don't think you should go to that. You can eat and have a coffee with a Wiccan some other time. But don't celebrate evil and don't participate in sin. Don't affirm witchcraft. Eat with them if you know them, but be careful that your attendance at events doesn't affirm their sin. I'm glad many of you were here last night eating with us instead of at that event. So three warnings. Associate, don't affirm. Be the influencer, not the influenced. And third, eat with sinners, but don't sin with them. Those are the warnings. But we don't just eat with sinners. We eat with saints. Jesus gave us a meal to unify our church body, the Lord's Supper. And we only skip that meal if we're stuck in unrepentant, unconfessed sin. But otherwise, we join in that glorious meal, eating together as the family of Christ. And we celebrate it the first Sunday of each month, which will be next Sunday. And we also eat at church events, like the annual dinner last night, the men's breakfast this Saturday. Guys, don't forget to sign up. And on Easter, we have our pancake breakfast every Easter morning. So as we close, I want you to consider Christ and follow him. He came to earth because the problem was much worse than boil water advisories. Sinners needed a savior. So he came and he ate with them and he died for them. The thing that could kill us spiritually was nailed to the cross with Jesus so that we could live. And he offers us food and water. He offers us something that doesn't need to be boiled. And here's his offer. John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So let's be ambassadors for Christ, the Savior who ate with sinners, and follow him like the story I'm going to end with from this evangelism book. Briefly, there was a Brazilian girl named Kelly, and she was an exchange student from Brazil to Portland, Oregon, when she was 16. Her host parents were John and Connie, and after she finished her exchange student time, uh, they kept in touch with her for about 15 years. And they learned that Kelly had become a flight attendant who was staying in Dubai. 
And the author of the book happened to be living and working in Dubai at the time and came to speak at John and Connie's church. And they realized, wow, we know this girl, not a Christian, from Brazil, was an exchange student, and now she's in Dubai. You're in Dubai? Maybe could you reach out to her? So they gave Kelly's phone number to the author's wife, Leanne. Well, they told Kelly, hey, in a couple of weeks, the author and his wife, they're going to be back in Dubai, and she's going to reach out to you and grab a meal with you. Well, it was going to be a few weeks. You know what Kelly did? She went to church that Sunday, weeks before she was going to get this outreach, because she heard one day someone from this church is going to have a meal with her. And when she walked in, she met Hetty from the Philippines at the welcome table, and Kanta from India at the bookstall. And guess what they did? They invited her out to lunch. Kelly ate with those two ladies who had no advance warning that she was coming and was going to be reached out by this offer. She just walked in a church and someone from the church said, I'll eat with you. And they gave her a gift bag with some books in it, and they eventually invited her to their small group Bible study. So to end the story and the sermon, I'm going to read the end of the story very briefly, and we're done. When Leanne, that's the author's wife, returned to Dubai, she and Kelly had lunch. Kelly shared with Leanne about her life and how much she loved the church. She said, I want to be a member. Are there membership dues I need to pay? Leanne smiled and said, no, there are no dues for our church, but there's something very important you must understand to become a member. It's this thing we call the gospel. Oh, then tell me about this gospel, Kelly said. Here's the final paragraph. Multiple continents, a couple of churches, various cities, many languages, Numerous ethnicities, diverse personalities, years of prayer, spoken and written communication, two lunches, one gospel. And he says, when I baptized Kelly in the hotel swimming pool, where our church holds its baptisms, I couldn't help but cry for joy over everything God had orchestrated for his one lost daughter, Kelly. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us follow your son, Jesus, who came to die for sinners. So, of course, he ate with sinners. Will you give us love for those who are lost around us? Give us a heart of compassion for them and help us be willing to associate with them wisely and carefully, not to affirm their sin, but to love them in Jesus' name and to say, I will share a meal with you. And Lord, will you give us opportunities to share the gospel in those moments? And thank you for Kelly who is now a daughter of the king, who's going to be in eternity forever because some of your people were willing to eat with a sinner. And thank you that we all were sinners, but you sent your son to die so that sinners could be saved. Help us today follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?